Hi, everybody. It's Jerome Hardaway. I am excited to talk about Greater Encode. Uh, let's go ahead and I'll make other introductions. I want to introduce one of my co-hosts, Christina. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 190. And so happy to be here and excited for the conversation. And I am here with Jacob. Hi, Jacob. Hello. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce this week's guest, Joseph LeBlanc. Joe first learned to code on a Zenith computer that his dad brought home from work. It was built with a blue LCD monitor and ran on five and a quarter floppy disks. He used spreadsheets for work and was interested. He spent about an hour going over macros and took off from there. Long after the Zenith died, Joe got started in the open source content management system Joomla. He landed in the center of his attention and he found himself writing a book about Joomla programming, authoring video tutorials about it for Linda, and is now giving Joomla talks and helping organize Joomla conferences. And since that time, Joe has picked up Node, Rails, and React, and other frameworks. And he's currently coding at True Link Financial and working on a few hobby projects. Welcome, Joe. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so we're going to start the way we always start with our first question, which is, what is your superpower and how did you develop it? Yeah, hospitality. I acquired it when I married my husband, Andrew. And yeah, it was something that I thought I was really good at. And uh, as I, I got to know Andrew and we got to uh, start talking about our values as a couple, I realized that I wasn't quite as good at it as I thought I was. And so, yeah, we began to to talk about that. And as I've thought about it more, I've tried to see if there's a way that I can bring that value of hospitality into the, the work and the hobbies that I do that are tech related. That's really interesting. Hospitality. So there was an episode several years ago on this, on this podcast about hospitality in terms of a code base. And yeah, we, we, we sort of talked about like, how like a hospitable attitude uh, and what that means for interfacing with technology. What, what are your thoughts about that? I think it comes into play, especially when we're looking at things like social media and creating spaces where you have conversations. When you create a space, like a, whether it's on a social media platform or a, a chat service, you have to make sure that everybody has a chance for, to participate and that the, the conversation is going well and that people aren't getting like drowned out by, by noise. And, uh, that's also something that has driven me away from platforms like Facebook. Um, in particular, I found that like with Facebook, we have these, you know, everybody has their page and they can post uh, a status update and it just becomes this big, non-venue of two or three billion people um, all posting things. And there's nobody really uh, making sure that uh, everybody has a, a shot to say something and that everyone's heard. That's so interesting. When I think about hospitality, I think more about like someone coming into my home and me being hospitable, <laughs> right? Like, being like, oh, here's some fresh towels and like, you know what I mean? Like, here's a fresh toothbrush and here's some breakfast. And that's really interesting that you say it that way as far as being part of the ecosystem, right? Yeah. Um, I, I kind of see it as, as an extension of just like humanity and kindness and being fair, right? Yeah. So like, 
Yeah, that's interesting. I like that superpower. It really, it really resonates with me, and it it, it sounds like you're a leader. Um, yeah, I, can you I maybe talk be... about how that impacts your like leadership at home, at work, wherever? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or how it, you it's something that I, I'm trying to get better at. Like one thing that that I did at work to try to uh, so I've recently become a, a software engineering manager, and uh, as a part of that. I've tried to create spaces where we can discuss things that aren't necessarily on topic for a particular pull request that's going in, where we can bring in like one channel that I have in our, our Slack group is just for engineering feeds. And so we're able to, to pull those uh, specific blogs and, and other sources in and people can, can discuss episodes, uh, of, of podcasts and blog posts if they want to, or if they don't. I think that's one channel that I could stand to do a, a better job of, of getting more participation in. But, uh, another venue that we have is, uh, uh, we have a, a repository with issues where if we, we need to talk about like the, the way we do standards at work, um, and it's, it's something that's beyond the scope of a, a pull request. Um, we, we just get in there and, and start talking about, uh, the details of, of getting a, a standard together or some, some documentation to, to help people. So it's like I've, you know, made some attempts at bringing hospitality in, but I, I still feel that there, there's kind of a limit to the extent that you can kind of apply the the analogy. I know one thing before I, I stopped using Facebook, um, we would get into groups. And a lot of those groups were ones where uh, my husband and I were a part of where we tried to make sure that uh, people had a, an equal chance to, to say things and that uh, people weren't taking over. Joe, you wanted to talk a little bit about social media generally. What's on your mind? What's on my mind with social media is we think of it as this free platform for us to get on and use. And when you really think about it, though, we have to pay a lot of money and buy equipment to, to actually use it. And at least here in the United States, um, most people are paying like upwards of 60 or $70 a month for a, a home internet connection through cable. And then on top of that, you're paying another like probably 50 or $60 per line um, for your, your cell phones. And before you know it, a household was paying like between a hundred and $200 a month easily to access the internet. And then we get Facebook where our, uh, not just our data, but really just our presence is used and monetized um, and, and sometimes uh, turned against us. And I feel like for the 100 to $200 a month that we're spending on internet access, um, there should be more that's just built in that isn't under the control of a, a company like Facebook. So like a free and open internet? Is that like what you're yeah. kind of thinking uh, along the lines of? Yeah, like uh, if you think back to the 90s, um, when we all kind of first started getting internet access, there were two apps you could think of uh, if you thought of like email and, and web as an app. And so the, the web was all about publishing and email was all about correspondence. Yeah, and, and with both of these uh, services, they're all non-vendor specific. So I could use 
you know, any web browser I want to connect to the web and any email client I want to connect to email. But when it comes to things like Facebook and Google Hangouts and the, these other services, you're, you're basically using their clients to connect. And what I'm really seeing a need for is something that's in between that can do real time communication that has, you know, a, an open source client or a, an open source protocol really that people could connect to. That's fascinating. I'm like deep in thought. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, one of the trying uh, to envision what that would look like because I feel like I've heard of places where they're kind of doing that today. Well, maybe not the way you're um, envisioning it, but I guess a starting point or building a foundation of like a kind of community based services. But I think you're talking more along the lines of progressive web apps or like a web app perspective as well, right? Not only like the foundational or the the core service, but everything else that kind of lays on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like part of what I've thought is what would be really helpful is if we had some way of connecting and communicating with each other where we have like positive ID on who we're communicating with. So we don't have to like exchange, we don't have to go out to a Google or a Facebook or, or some other service. And where it's also not on the other end of the spectrum where we have email, where uh, where emails can be forged and, and that sort of thing. But what I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines of is some sort of a channel or a way of establishing channels that, uh, that people could establish and then invite people to and, and communicate on that, uh, could be chat, could be video, could be messages and all these things that we currently end up having to go to a Facebook or a Google for. To, to get oh so more like on the along the lines of like open source do you think do you do you envision kind of you know blockchain playing a role that's an interesting question because i i have thought of yeah this is something where blockchain could be used but i i've always i've never been like that interested in crypto um mm-hmm. for these sorts of things like it's, it's something where it's, it's definitely something that you could use to ensure, you know, authenticity and, um, and security. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause the, the point that you brought up earlier, um, or, you know, in your, in your, some of your comms is that like, we need to stop acting like social media is free. I like to think, you know, I, ha- I have a security background and privacy background. So I like to think that nothing is free. <laughs> Um, everything yeah. comes at a cost, right? Even anything that that kind of markets itself as free, it really means that you are the product, right? Yes, exactly. So like you said, they are collecting, aggregating, and just your data, right? They're collecting this data and they're making assumptions, they're building these profiles. Um, and that's the price that, you know, they don't necessarily disclose everything or they may, but no one ever reads those privacy policies or terms of use agreements, right? So <laughs> we made a joke about that. And uh, I recently made a joke about that because I sent, uh, I've started a new job and I had to send them the reason why I needed admin access to my machine, which was wild. And I was like, I wrote this giant, this really long paper-ish paper uh, paragraph. And my boss was like, why didn't you just say, because you're a programmer? I was like, well, I figured that the more I write, the sooner they get it done. I was like, how many of us have read the Apple terms and conditions? And everyone laughed. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. No one's read that. 
Like they can own us for all we know, but that's uh, the science. Yeah, it's almost like we should be presenting companies with our terms of service saying, this is how you may use my data. And here's here's the data that I'm going to provide. And here's the um, the context that you're allowed to use it in, regardless of whether it's out there or not. The idea of data when it comes to me uh, from my uh, experience is kind of weird data and security because I was military. So like I'm under like I'm like, yeah, Uncle Sam knows everything about you already. So uh, but I can understand like so that's where my like laissez faire don't care mentality comes from because like yeah, if it's out there someone's gonna find out and i've been pentagon's been hacked like three times since i've been out so i'm like okay everything's out there probably i understand that but i guess when we're coming from the idea of like using it for profits and gain like like financial gain that's where people get really concerned about their data which is really I guess coming from my background, it's kind of unusual to me because I'm like, wouldn't you want your data to be aggregated so that the things that people are selling to you are actually the things that you want them to sell to you? I was saving this potentially for the when we wrapped up, but it's just so relevant. I, I think I need to bring it up now. So there's um there's a company called uh, Ubdi, which I don't know if anyone's heard of it, uh, but it stands for Universal Basic Data Income. And so their premise is like, okay, if we're all products, you know, every time we go on the internet, we're all, all of us are being sold, like our data is being sold. We should at least get to get a cut of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and so it's this platform where they are basically, you, it's one place where you can grant permission for them to grab data on you from wherever, Netflix, Twitter, whatever. And then people who would like to buy data, they can come to Ubdi instead of going directly to that provider. And then you can get a few bucks for your own data. And I just thought that was like such an interesting paradigm shift, just like you said, which is like, okay, if they're going to be selling, I at least would like to think that I can get some kind of benefit out of it. Yeah. I I think that's probably you're speaking to that frustration, which is that the sort of the business model really doesn't is really just thinking of, mm-hmm. yeah 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 i can see that like all right so we have we have to buy the services to be able to use the internet which is quote-unquote free and then the by using of to buying those services to, to get online all these products are free but what they're really doing is aggregating our data and um then selling it or trying to use it to sell us other, other goods. So technically we're the suckers because we're paying for the, the tools and services to get access to the internet. And then we're using the products for free, but they're getting all of our data to sell us stuff. So yeah, we are the suckers. When you look at it, we are getting nothing out of it. Thank you for changing my mind. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a benefit because it, doesn't seem like any of the social media companies are doing a good job at it. But one potential benefit of like a centralized model is preventing harassment. And a model that's like, you know, email, which which just with an open protocol, you know, that's one concern that I would have. And yeah, what are, what are your thoughts about that? My thought with that is that uh, one of the things that I have tried to kind of implement one of these ideas for channels of communication has been to look at what we already have and see if I can build something on top of that. 
And um, the one idea I had uh, is one that I call email plus, where you start off by basically starting over and saying, okay, we're going to use messages as channels. And you also have to explicitly invite somebody kind of into your realm before um, they can communicate with you. Um, and then that way, you're not just receiving like random messages from, from people. It's going to be people that you know and people that you can positively ID and say, you know, they're part of this conversation. And that's one idea I've had for trying to make something like this happen. So you're essentially going to social media the email process? Like, but wouldn't that actually hurt email? Like, how do you like make, especially in a virtual world that we're in right now, if I don't know you because I'm stuck at home and my network is stuck like towards like the amount of people who I've met IRL, um, you're not going to be able to email me. So there might be an opportunity out there, hiring manager, donor, sponsor, anything like that, who, okay, I have to invite this person, but I don't know who's being touched by the things I make or is looking for the talent that I provide or who's even looking at my, at my skills to be able to make that determination like a hundred percent of the time right yes like you know but my my own personal life right uh uh if it wasn't for someone talking about me and then you begin a cold email from uh the hiring manager about the current job i'm in i've known this job existed i'm gonna be able to talk to hiring manager i've got the job or uh, have a veteran at Amazon now who he would not have gotten. If someone had said, hey, yo, we are looking for people who are talent Amazon, code, code email me. I've never been able to uh, help any of my veterans get a job at Amazon. I feel like that whole adding the uh, gate or barrier of entry to email kind of goes against the openness of email and how powerful of a tool it is. Yeah, we would still have to have email itself. Um, in the, the way that we know it now, but, uh, the, the thought is more to kind of create another thing on top of it. And, and part of that also is kind of revealing how, you know, uh, my attempts at trying to create this have, have not kind of have succeeded, have not succeeded as much as, um, I'd like. It, it kind of comes back to more the idea that, we we need these channels where we have people that we we already know and trust where we can host conversations and currently a lot of that's happening on platforms like Facebook that we've talked about how Facebook is is kind of spy problematic that's by on us <laughs> yeah, they spy on us yes yeah <laughs> I get it. I mean, it's just, I like it. I like where you're going. I mean, it's like open sourcing, not giving the control to one entity, one company who, you know, in turn end up owning our data, right? Like even Gmail, they give us free email addresses, right? You can sign up for a free email address, but they basically scan our mailboxes. So anything that's in our mailbox, they have access to isn't um, that, because that's exchange. Isn't it a monopoly if we give it all to one company? Well, not really to one company, right? Because you have options. So they're not, they don't own email per se, um, yeah. even though they're probably one of the largest providers, but you can have your own domain. You can go to Yahoo, right? Whoever still uses Yahoo, you can go to any other email provider, Outlook, Microsoft. So they don't own the space, but I think they have a lot of leverage, right? In the space, regardless for the folks who do use email as your primary 
email provider, or excuse me, Gmail as your primary email provider, you know, we're basically consenting to Google doing whatever they want because they, they're storing that data and they can scan that data, right? It would be nice if, if it would be, you know, not owned and just more like it would kind of, we would have options that are open source, um, still secure, obviously private, but not owned by a particular company. Exactly. To, um, to Joseph's point. Yeah, exactly. I think, but also to, in terms of, you know, we currently have services like Slack and Microsoft Teams, which is kind of like a, a similar service that, that does like company wide chat. And if I'm on a Slack instance and I want to contact somebody uh, that's using Microsoft Teams, I either have to go and sign up for a Microsoft Teams account and, and join them, or they have to sign up for a Slack account and join me. And then even within Slack, it's like you can't use the same login for multiple Slack instances. You have to um, create a, a new account for every Slack instance you're a part of. And if we could have something where, you know, we're not being spied on and it's, it's our data and there's a, a protocol where we can all access it and use whatever clients we want to use. That's the kind of thing that, that I would hope that we could get for our hundred to $200 a month for internet access. Like a key. Like, you know, you just hear this thing. This is all of me. This is what I am authorizing you to use it for or something that you can say, I'm no longer, you know what? I would like to be able to no longer authorize people for how to use it. Like I didn't even give my email. Uh, this was, I think almost 15 years ago. Uh, while I was in Iraq, I was being stupid and I tried Marlboro, uh, cigarettes like the first time, only time ever. And somehow they got, they have my data to the point where I'll still randomly get like an ad from them. And I'm like, dude, I was like 20 and stupid when I did this. Like, uh, how are you still tracking me after 13 years? That's scary. I've moved four times. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm in a different city. I'm like, yo, that's wild. Like, yeah, like, I, if the key could do that, I would be on board. Exactly. Like you would have your key and you'd give them the key and say, you can communicate with me with this key on this channel. And when I delete the key, it, it's gone. And that's it. Like a consent package. Yeah. Very interesting. There's something that, that Microsoft is actually working on called like, a, it's based on the, the foundational concept of blockchain, but it's... um. And I know nothing about blockchain, but but it's basically like distributed a distributed identity kind of model where it's similar to that, right? Like you own this concept of a key and then you can choose to, you know, if you wanted to exchange information with an entity, let's say a university or your doctor's office or whatever, you would give them, you would own the key, right? And you would have it, whether it's on your phone or whatever, a digital key. And then you would give them this access in exchange for whatever, right? So you would like, uh, verify your identity, they would confirm it, right? And then they would give you your diploma. And then you basically, you know, you can sever that connection after that exchange happened, right? So you basically own your identity rather than having, you know, distributed companies all over the world, like own your identity. It's all like in kind of development, but they've released a lot of good research on it. And um, it looks promising, right? But we'll, you know, we'll see how that goes. 
But I think it, it, it relates to that concept. I mean, I envision a world where, uh, Joe, maybe to your point where you could like buy a device, right? Like a router that's like, or you can build your own device and then you just plug it into power and like, that's it. You just like, you don't have to go through files or charter or whatever. You just like, I don't know, do some magic stuff, something. And it, it connects you to the source and no one owns a source and you just, you know, pay some fee or whatever. And you don't have to worry about anyone owning your data. Right. That is something I've thought of is just like maybe buying a spare computer and setting it up uh, as an experiment. And it's like, this is my, my channel box or like my cable box. <laughs> um, and these are all the, the channels that are on it. And um, I could use that way. Use that as a way of inviting people into those channels to connect. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, we'd have to, to write software to, to make that useful uh, or helpful. But, but yeah, like that, that's definitely something that uh, a consideration that, that could go into this. Cool. Like, the, or maybe like that ultra carbon disc that they have. I don't know. We just, you know, this is my sleeve. You can't use my, uh, can't use my data unless I give you access to it. Like, all right. Yeah. That goes to another, when I joke about that stuff, I was, that was a joke that went to a real combo. Um, how would we do, be able to use this for children? Like, I don't know if you, cause I don't know if you guys have kids or anything, but I'm, I'm a dad. And when it comes to I have security, a couple of yeah, I know, right? Nightmare. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, like, the hardest, I only get concerned with data when it comes to my kids because mm-hmm. I am like, you know, harsh reality, no matter how many conversations you have with them, to them, you're a boomer, even if you aren't 60 and you don't understand and they're going to do what they want to do. And quite frankly, I have three boys, they're idiots. So, like, how would this work in the idea of protecting children? Because, like, oh, my goodness, like, the arguments, like, they say they can't be on there until they're, like, 13. I guess that's the agreed age before, like, social media society. No, that's when we're going to start tracking all your kids' shit. But, like, it's terrifying because it's like, all right, so you're track, you're, you're building their profiles from like 13 or from TikTok and Instagram because, you know, they're all too cool to use Twitter and Facebook. So now I have to have a, a TikTok account to watch my, to monitor my kids. But like, how would that work? Like how as a parent, me as a parent, concerned about data, concerned about companies tracking everything that's going online with, uh, with my kids, like how would I be able to, or even worse, like the, the discords and the reddits of the world. Like I'm absolutely terrified of those two sites because everybody who is horrible seems to be on those sites. So how would I be able to protect them from that? What's your thoughts on solving that problem? Man, I, I do not have solutions for that. And it's all the more like depressing to think about just because it's like, you know, I started programming when I was eight and I had access to a computer at that point. And now if an eight-year-old gets on a computer, it's like access to all this garbage. And yes. it is is such a different game. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, you know yeah, we sound like the Perpich Farm commercials back in my day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> remember the internet was a safe place for kids. And now I'm like, no, that is not it. That's things obsessful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. 
I, I think it's a valid use case. I think it's um, you know, it's going to take a lot of education, right? Because um like you said kids really do what they want to do. So, I think as parents it's our it's our responsibility to pretty much keep it real with them and and give them the good with the bad, like super real and tell them, you know, show them the news stories and you know whether you want to filter that or not you know that's up to you but i try to keep it real like i have my my nine-year-old she figured out how to like set up an account on like this i don't know i don't remember what it was not tiktok one of those and i discovered it and you know i had to basically email the ceo and say like my daughter's nine and she was able to accept your privacy policy and like even though i've spoken to her but you know and she was able to post videos and you just we just have to continue to educate right yeah but think about that like you and me we're i mean everybody who's on this call there uh, we're technical and we're still on like it's a hard problem yeah we're we're operating at the edge of our abilities with this when when it comes to our kids now imagine somebody a blue collar worker that has absolutely like the most they do on the internet is like watch sports and go to facebook to talk about Mm -hmm. sports like if, if if our heads are hurting trying to solve this problem, just imagine that parent. Like, oh my goodness, like this is a nightmare. Like, just imagine like if, if your average like run the mill church or grocery store, those people they are not. I mean, if we are not qualified. Oh my goodness, could you like could you even think about your neighbors like when the stress are going through? My neighbor, my next door neighbor has four. Uh, daughters all for range from the age of like 13 and 19 i am like first wow second like how are you keeping up with like trying to keep them out of trouble and i'm just like it's impossible at this age at that at those ages you're just hoping and no one goes to jail like oh my goodness yeah you know again it's a hard <laughs> it's a it's a really difficult problem to solve and i think that it's not always about throwing technology at at every problem. Yeah, I think it would have been solved already if, if that were the case. We, we have a lot of brilliant technology, <laughs> but yeah, it, it is it is important. It is important to amplify. Yeah, we made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to take a break in the show to let you know that today's show is sponsored by Strong DM. Managing your remote team as they work from home. Managing a gazillion SSH keys, database, passwords, and Kubernetes certs? Meet StrongDM. Manage and audit access to servers, databases, and Kubernetes clusters, no matter where your employees are. With StrongDM, easily extend your identity provider to manage infrastructure access, automate onboarding, offboarding, and moving people within roles. Grant temporary accesses that automatically expires to on-call teams. Admins get full auditability into anything anyone does, when they connect, what queries they run, what commands are typed. It's full visibility into everything. For SSH, RDP, and Kubernetes, that means video replays. For databases, it's a single unified query log across all database management systems. StrongDM is used by companies like Hearst, Peloton, Betterment, Greenhouse, and SoFi to manage access. It's more control and less hassle. StrongDM. Manage and audit remote access to infrastructure. Start your free 14-day trial today at strongdm.com slash SDT. Now that we have all this uh, new things to be scared of, and, like, I'm pretty sure, like, 
shows like, yo, that's what parents think about. Like, yes, that, that these are all the nightmares. These all things keep us up at night when it comes to uh, our data. It's not even our data that we care about. It's our kids' data. So are you trying to lead the movement to like get off of everything? And how does that look for you? Like beyond like, all right, we have a key where we pick and choose our data point, our who has access to our data. How does that rolling out look like to you? Like from like, hey, Facebook, like, I know you've made billions of dollars off our data, but now we're not going to give that to you willy nilly. So we need to figure out a new system so that way you can uh, still make the money to pay your brilliant engineers, but it's just not getting every data point under the sun of me or like Twitter, like, Hey, this is a new data. These are the new rules to play. You know, if you want me to play on your website, this is the new rules for the, how do you, how would you envision that rollout? Yeah, like I have tried to kind of do stuff on my own up until till now and have tried to like see, okay, you know, what, what would the design for this look like? And I've tried to, to do some blogging and some thinking and writing around that. And it hasn't really gotten anywhere. And I'm, I'm kind of at a point now where I want to. Yeah, you know, I'm mainly off Facebook for for my personal like mental health more than anything. But you know, I realistically I know that Facebook is going to be around um, for for some time. And if there is a, a way to to roll this out, I think we just have to start with people who are are willing to be hobbyists and willing to to play around with something that that's not fully developed yet. Um, and that's that's kind of where I, I would want to start is is finding people who who want to build this and and take it from there. Hmm. Roger that. Thank you. Yeah, I think there is just like to uh, a lot of experimentation that was present, um, especially in the the earlier stages of the of the internet when email and the web were were being developed, where you know um, I, I think Tim Berners Lee. There, I can't remember this verbatim, but I think it was that he left this uh, server on at, at the research center over Christmas and they were going to uh, cut power to the, the server. And he was all concerned about like, you know, if somebody were to, to try to access it, it would be down but then realized he was the only person that, that knew about this. And, and it was all kind of not a, a big issue after all. And to, to think that it started from there and, and took off um, is something that uh, gives me a little bit of encouragement that uh, maybe doing some experiments early on and trying to get people involved isn't as absurd an idea as it might seem on the surface. It's never, I don't think it's ever an absurd idea. I think that a lot of our most innovative and creative ideas have come from this type of research and development. So I definitely encourage you to continue exploring and, you know, just kind of, you know, leveraging maybe some of the ideas or not ideas, but maybe some of the stuff that's kind of out, like that other folks are working on in the open source community, right? Or kind of distributed, open, distributed internet and tech community, uh, because I think it's super important. Yeah, this is a, I view this as a form of activism. Maybe you're looking at it from a technical situation when it should be more 
social, just having these type of conversations more and more and amplifying the conversations because, you know, it is a concern. And we get in this type of situation, like even now, like, you know, the voices have gotten so loud when it comes to racism, when it comes to sexism, sexual harassment, sexual assault, that, you know, the changes are becoming like the changes are coming and they're coming fast, but they're actually really slow. It looks abrupt, but you're like, no, these are like hundreds of years in the making. So maybe you should like, maybe you should take that approach, like look at a form of, you know, this is the next form of activism. Like how do we get companies to play nice with our data? How do we get control back of our data? Right. Because essentially, you know, there's somewhere, there's a version of me, uh, there's a digital version of me running around that I'm like, I have that stuff. You're not supposed to know. So what's going on? But yeah, I, I think that's that's a different approach for it that you might want to look into. Should we transition to reflections? Yeah, thank you. So this was great. This was a great conversation, Joe. You really got me thinking about what could be, right? And just like, just possibilities. I think it's important that folks like you exist and that you continue to like challenge the status quo. So I learned a lot today about the value and the power of just open source. Like, I feel like I knew, but I learned more and it just reaffirmed that. Um, And also the power of kind of thinking beyond, oh, well, it's okay because they have all the information already or like, yeah, well, we need them. So I'm going to just use the first app that I, that already did it because they already did it. Right. So yeah, this was really insightful. So thanks for the, thanks for the chat. It was really great. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I have a three-year-old, and right now the, uh, the the basic policy is if I hand him my phone, I'm basically accepting anything that could be done wrong, deleted, bought, etc. I'm basically <laughs> accepting that risk <laughs> because like, I'm, he's not old enough for me to tell him, like, okay, you can use this app, but don't download anything or don't go into this other app. You know, like, it's basically if he can touch it, he can do it. And yes, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about as he's getting older and I want him to become a, like a, 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 not a thoughtful technologist. Like, what do I need to do to sort of prepare him for that? And yeah, I, I'm really glad that you brought that up, Jim, because that's going to be something that I'm going to need to be ready for pretty darn soon. Oh, yeah. As a parent of a 12 year old, 13 year old and a 16 year old, it is like, it is a constant, like, and the goal post keeps moving, but it's, you know, constant, like, r- musical chairs and trying to figure out, it's the hard world's hardest algorithm, trying to figure out, like, how do I protect their data? How do I keep them off the web from doing silly things? How do I keep crazy, nefarious things from finding them? Like, it's a full time job. It's a job on top of the job. So if you can ever, if you can figure that out, like Joe, I'm like, I, I will gladly like be like, here's the, <laughs> I'll, I'll gladly invest. I'll buy whatever service. Yeah. I think that's something we've, we're a little shy of now is like, maybe we ought to, as a public, get used to the idea, like maybe like a service that protects our privacy is actually a better alternative than just because it's free. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my reflection on this is the a reminder that other people are thinking about this and that I, I'm not the only one. There's, you know, we we all are, are concerned about privacy and definitely hearing more about uh, raising kids and uh, trying to figure out where, where the lines are with technology and 
what you can do, if anything, uh, to protect your kids um, is something, you know, I, I do not have kids. And so um, that's not something that's, that's always on the, the top of my mind. Um, well, this so. would probably, this idea that going from that focal point is probably a great way to start because I know for a fact people are concerned about their kids' data way more than they're concerned about their data. Like, like I said, you heard me, like my mind changed during the podcast because like my data, like my stuff's already out there, Uncle Sam, and he knows everything about me, whatever. Then we start talking about my kids. I'm like, yeah, that's a real concern. So, yeah. Like, that is a, uh, you know, like I said, I shifted just like when I when I'm thinking about me, I'm like, screw it, I don't care. Uh, but when it comes to my kids, I'm like, yo, you're absolutely. I want to know everything that's going on at all times, and I'm like, I am that slick. Like, oh, I come off as a hard ass, but I'm a helicopter parent. Like anybody, like the world is never the same. Like I'm major pain over here, so. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for episode 190 and we'll see you next time.